Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again. Series, Wake Up, O Sleeper. If you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go back and listen to the message not because necessarily I think that I did a great job expositing the text, but because the information is still good because it came from the Word. And I'm trying to build a foundation in us because I believe God wants us to have a foundation that is solid and unshakable. So I've titled this sermon series intentionally Wake Up, O Sleeper, because the church (laughs) has fallen asleep. The church is determined to lose its voice in the public. We've decided to sit down and abdicate our responsibility to being the voice of reason in our society. And we do that because we're largely unconvictional about what we believe. Or we don't know how to argue what we believe. And when I say argue, I don't mean argue. I mean just give a hope for Just give an answer for the hope that we have. That's what the Bible said we should do. In 1 Peter 3.15, it says this. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Did you catch that? We are obligated to have an answer for anybody that asks us about our hope. But we don't do that from a place of unsanctification. We hear this text all the time, but we, we fail to recognize the first part says, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts first. Because I can't tell them about the hope that I have if I don't have the hope that is Christ Jesus living in me. Amen? And so, we need to have an answer, having sanctified ourselves in Christ Jesus for the hope that is in us to a world that is lost and dying. But we failed to do it. So last week we talked about how to counter culture, how to confront culture. And I used Acts chapter 17 to explain how Paul did it as a model for how we can do it. Today, I want to talk to you in what will be the second foundational teaching of this sermon series, and then there will be four sermons after that. I need you guys to be in prayer for me. This is the prayer I need. I need boldness, strength, and endurance. Because over the next four weeks, starting next week, because I'm laying a foundation right now, I am going to openly, boldly declare truths that the world is trying to do everything it can to suppress. And that is that sex is, in, is only reserved for the sanctity of marriage, period. Any kind of other sexual perversion is prohibited. And every other kind of sex is a sexual perversion according to the Word of God. That freaks people out, but it's the truth. I'm going to talk about how masculinity isn't wrong. It's not toxic. 
As a matter of fact, unless a man is who he's called to be, according to the Word of God, women don't have space to be everything that they've been called to be. The reason the world's upside down right now is because men have stopped being men, and women have filled the vacuum space of that leadership. And that's not the way it's designed. But the world doesn't like to hear that. Now, I'm going to talk about how abortion is wrong. Period. There's no exception. All life is sanctified. All life is sacred. And God gave sacred life so that we could have it. And let me tell you, the world's not going to like these messages, but we're putting them out there on YouTube and Facebook and social media anyway. Because the truth needs to be told. Not because I'm, I want to be ugly. The Bible says I still need to be gentle and humble. But because I love them enough to tell them the truth. We should love them enough to tell them the truth. The Word of God says that we should love them enough to tell them the truth because it's only those who tell the truth that prove their love. For an enemy multiplies his kisses. Amen? So, <laughs> second foundational teaching in this series is called The Word is Truth. I talked last week about how to argue, how to have a discussion about your hope. This week, I'm going to set the foundation for where your argument comes from. Your argument comes from the Word of God. Period. This Word, this Bible, is truth. Absolute, without error, truth. Which, which messes me up, i got to be honest with you. Because there's some stuff in here I don't like. God expects some stuff of me that I don't like. But that's all right. <coughs> Doesn't matter if I like it. I'm not Lord of my life. Jesus is. Hallelujah. Let me tell you, this word is truth. And this, tr this word says a few things. It says that God is creator. That God created all things. If you can believe that God created all things, and He did according to the Word of God, then you can also believe, you have to believe, that He's sovereign over all things. Which means He has absolute control over all things. I used to build furniture for fun. I made a kitchen table. If I determined to bring that kitchen table out into the yard, smash it into a thousand pieces, and set it on fire... I made it. I can do with it whatever I want to. I have sovereign control over that table. For the same reason, the creator of the universe can do whatever he wants to with the universe he created. We don't like that in America because we don't like the idea of someone having sovereignty over us. That's too bad. You don't live in a democracy if you're a Christian. You live in a theocracy. A government established and run by God. I'm going to let y'all stew. Some of y'all have to think about that a minute. Because sadly, we have wrapped our religion in the American flag. And we shouldn't do that. I told y'all I'm going to make some people mad today over the next few weeks. But if he's creator and he's sovereign, then you must also believe as sovereign he has the ability to sustain that he sustained 
Moses in the desert for 40 years, that he sustained Joseph, that he sustained Daniel in the lion's den, that he sustained Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were thrown into the fire so that they didn't even smell like smoke, much less be burned, that, they, that he sustained Jesus Christ's ministry, even his death, and raised him from the dead, and that because of that, he has the ability to sustain us. But do you know, if I can't start with the understanding that he is creator, the rest of these dominoes fall apart. I have to believe all of these truths or none of the truths can stand. Because I tell you a thousand truths in one lie, I'm untrustworthy. Everybody okay so far? I'm just trying to set a foundation. But, We have moved from these objective truths to subjective truths. And this is what I mean. Objective truth. This is an objective truth. It's true regardless of what your emotions or your biases tell you. That's objective truth. Subjective truth is true based only on your emotions and your biases. Everybody got what I'm saying? Let me, let me give you some illustration. Launch Point Church is a church. That's an objective truth. There's nothing's going to change that fact. There's no emotion, no bias that's going to change that this is a church. By all standards of what a church should be, this is a church. A subjective truth is to say Launch Point Church is the best church in Lebanon. I feel that way. It doesn't necessarily mean it's true because I, I bet everybody at the First Baptist Church feels that way about First Baptist Church. I am married to Angela Cubitt. That's an objective truth. I am married to Angela Cubitt, who is the best wife on the planet, is a subjective truth. Subject to my emotions and my biases. Some of you probably think that you're married to the greatest woman on earth. If you're married, you better think you're married to the greatest woman on earth. Right? <laughs> yeah, I could go on and on with the objective versus subjectives, but I won't. I'll just say this. Here's where the tension happens. The tension happens when we move ourselves from objective truth to subjective truth, where we start letting our emotions determine what is true for us. Right. <coughs> and that's what the world is in right now. The world has determined that based on their personal worldview, their personal emotions, that's how they establish their truth. There's a problem with that, though, because your emotions don't have the authority to establish truth in you. Your emotions didn't create you. Your emotions aren't sovereign over you. Your emotions don't sustain you. God sustains you. God's Word 
sustains you. Amen? But it makes us mad, this objective truth, because if, in fact, truth is truth, regardless of how we feel about it, it causes us to have to make a decision we may not want to make, and that makes us fussy. 1 Corinthians 6, chapter 6, verses 9 and 10 reads like this. Or did you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Just so you know, that's, that's a general statement. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, let me give you some examples of what that looks like. This isn't an all-inclusive list. He says, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. You know what that is? That's not subjective truth. That's objective truth. I don't care how you feel about it. It's true regardless of how you feel about it, regardless of your personal emotion. Can I tell you, most Christians will tell you homosexuality will separate you from God and you will not inherit the kingdom of God until they have a son and daughter that that comes out of the closet and says they're gay, and then they change their emotions and they allow their truth then to be changed. You're like, man, you really hacking on homosexuals. I'm not, because the same thing is true for liars. The same thing is true for revilers. The same thing is true for thieves. Listen, just because you know a thief doesn't mean that your love for that thief can save them. Only the truth in the Word of God can save them, and that's that Jesus Christ died for them, but they have to be repentant. That's the objective truth. It doesn't matter how we feel. Everybody all right? Doesn't matter if you're all right. It's the objective truth. So we have to base everything that we are on this. Can I tell you this hurts my feelings? This objective truth. I told you there's some stuff in here I don't like. And just to be quite honest with you, more honest than I, I ever wished I'd have to be, I have a daughter, according to the objective truth of the Word of God, if she were to die right now, would be separated eternally from God because she's living with her boyfriend having sex, unrepentant of that sex. No matter how I feel about it, no matter what emotion it evokes in me. That's the truth. And the people need to know the truth. But we need to be able to prove to them that the truth (coughs) is that. That it's the truth. Amen? So I'm going to do a sermon today, and it's going to be unlike most sermons I do, where I just go verse by verse and exegete a passage. I'm going to do a topical teaching because I want to show you throughout the word of God where the word is truth and I'm going to make two points and the first one is this the word is truth that is trustworthy I need to prove to you so that you can prove to others that the word is truth the word is truth that is trustworthy verse 42 of Psalm 119 says so that I will have an answer for him who reproaches me, I will trust in your word. Essentially, he's saying, because I trust your word, I know I can answer anyone who criticizes me. 
because I trust your word, I can answer anybody who criticizes me. This is our hope. This is what we need to do. We need to build a trust in the word so we're not scared to declare the word. I told you last week, most people don't declare the word because they're scared that they don't know what the word says or they're, they're afraid that they might get it wrong. If you know the word, you won't get it wrong. And so the word is trustworthy first because we know where it originates. Listen to this. How can I know the word is true? Because I know according to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. I know where the word originates. I know that it originates from the Spirit, because it says all Scripture is inspired by God. I know it originates for a purpose, and that purpose is to be beneficial to us for the sake of teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. Just in case you're not sure what those words mean, let me put it this way. It says profitable for teaching, that is, for teaching what is right, for reproof, teaching what is not right, for correction, teaching how to get it right, and training for righteousness, teaching how to stay right. You want to know what the word's profitable for? Teaching what is right, teaching what is not right, how to get it right, and how to stay right. How many of you guys want to get it right? How many of you guys know there's areas you're not getting right right now? Or that you had right, that you stopped getting right, and you need to get right again? Or need to be sustained in the rightness that you currently have? Raise your hand. That should be everybody. So the word is profitable for everybody. It is, it is trustworthy because it originates from the Spirit for a purpose, to accomplish a purpose. In verse 17, so that the man of God, that's the people who have declared Jesus Christ is Lord, be adequate and equipped for every good work. God gave us the word for a purpose. So that we can be who we're supposed to be, so that in being who we're supposed to be, we can be ready for every work he calls us to, so that everybody that we touch might be ready also. Amen? But that's not the only reason it's trustworthy. It's also trustworthy because it doesn't change. Verse 160 of Psalm 119 says, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. I want you to get in that. Don't read past it too much or too fast. The sum, that means the totality of your work. The totality of your word is truth. Every piece of it. Which is crazy, guys. There's some crazy stuff in the Bible. The Bible says the, earth, the sun stood still. Did you know that? That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't have to make sense. It's in the word of God. It can be trusted. I, had, I told a guy one time, I said, you know, the Bible says that the sun stood still. And he said, that's not possible. If the sun stood still, that means the earth stopped rotating, which means everything would fall off of it. 
And I said, do you not believe that a God that created the earth can make sure everything that's supposed to stick to it sticks to it? I think probably sticking stuff to the earth is less significant than actually making the earth in the first place. But that's not the craziest thing in the scripture. He parted the Red Sea so that he could save his people, (coughs) shut it back again, that he may destroy the enemies of his people. He used one angel to destroy 180,000 soldiers. Again, he saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from a fire, and they didn't even smell like smoke. He raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and that wasn't the first person he rose from the dead. Guys, there's some crazy stuff in there, but I'm telling you, this is true. The sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous ordinances is what? Everlasting. Everything in your word is true, and it's everlasting. It's never going to change. It's always going to be. There's never going to be a time where it doesn't exist. You know why? Because there's never going to be a time that God doesn't exist. The Spirit of God breathed the Word of God. Jesus Christ is the Word of God come to life. The Word will always exist, and it will always exist perfectly. You know why? Because God exists perfectly. Come on, somebody. He has to be perfect. He can't change. The Bible says there's no shifting shadow in him. That he doesn't change. And because he doesn't change, the word doesn't change. If it changed, where it's perfect right now, if it changed at all, let's say it changed for the better. Everybody would think that's a good thing, right? Except that if it changed for the better, that means at some point in the past, it wasn't perfect. Well, what if it changes for the worse? Well, that's not good because that means right now, it's worse. Or it's it's better. You, you understand what I'm saying. My point is that the word never changes. It is reliable. You can count on it. What it tells you today is what it's going to tell you tomorrow. It is trustworthy. Do you know why I love my wife? Because she's trustworthy. You know why I believe her? Because she's trustworthy. She gave me a promise when we got married. It wasn't one of those mushy promises like people do when they're married, you know. I promise to do this and that and the other thing. But this was the promise she gave me when we got married. I will never let you fail. And you know what? She's been true to her word. And so she's not changed, and she has proven it trustworthy. Your word, God's word, has not changed and therefore is proven trustworthy. Amen?
finally, the word is trustworthy because it can be proven. Because it can be proven. I say all of those other things to tell you this. That it can be proven. This is what I don't like. I don't like when people tell me such and such is true. Why? Well, because it says it's true. If I told you the Bible is true because the Bible says it's true, what have I proven to you? I'm not proving anything to you. If I say, I'm the best looking guy on earth because I'm the best looking guy on earth. What have I proven to you? I'm the most ignorant man on earth. <laughs> I haven't proven anything. I'm using circular reasoning. This is true because this is true because that was true. <coughs> it doesn't prove anything except for maybe I might make a good politician one day. But it's not actually proving anything. But the Bible can be proven. Let me explain. The Bible can be proven scientifically. Evidence proves the word is true in that it proves things that the word said centuries ago are actually true. The earth is round. I know we know that. It's commonplace for us to know that there's always, there may be a weirdo, weirdo flat earther in here, but I'm going to tell you the, the earth is not flat, the earth is round. We learned this truth in the 15th century. But Jesus gave proof of it 1,500 years before that. Listen to this. Luke 17. I'll find it in a second. 17, 34 through 36. I tell you on the night there will be two, one in bed, one will be taken, the other will be left. There will be two women grinding at the same place, one will be taken and the other will be left. Two men will be on the field, one will be taken and the other will be left. Girl, how's that prove the, the earth's round? That it's not flat? Well, let me tell you. As you know, or if you don't know, let me tell you, the Bible says when Jesus comes back, there's going to be a trumpet, and then in the blink of an eye, the saints are going to be caught up in the air with him. Right? Yes? If that's true, that means it's going to be an instantaneous occurrence. He's not going to blow the trumpet in this time zone, and then blow the trumpet in this time zone, and then blow the trumpet in this time zone, and then blow the trumpet in this time zone. He's going to blow the trumpet one time, and the saints are going to be lifted into the air with him. Amen? Amen? Now, let us go back to the verse. I tell you on that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other will be left. There will be the two women grinding at the same place. One will be taken and the other will be left. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other will be left. When they're laying in their bed, that's a nighttime activity. When the two women are grinding, grinding is a morning and evening activity. When men are working in the field, that's a daytime activity. So somewhere on earth, in a single instance, it's going to be night, morning, day, 
and evening all at the same time, which isn't possible if the earth isn't round. And we, Jesus said that 2,000 years ago. We just learned it 500 years ago. You know what that does? That proves that the word is true. But let's, let's face it. Everybody gets it right every now and then. So we need more evidence. How about this? Job 26, 7. Let me get to it real quick. He stretched out the north over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. He hangs the earth on nothing. There was a time that we believed that the earth was held up by something. Job was the first book written chronologically in your Bible. Did you know that? That messes people up. People are like, no, that's not true. Genesis is. No, Moses was inspired by the Spirit to write Genesis, but Job was actually written first. It's the oldest letter in your Bible, which means it's at least 4,000 years old. Back in Job's day, they believed that the earth was suspended on the back of a giant turtle. I can't explain why they would think that, but they did. But it wasn't until recently that we understood that what Job said is true, that the earth hangs in space on nothing. You know what that does? That proves the word of God is true. There's medical evidences. God established the necessity of quarantine in Leviticus chapters 13 and 14. I'm not going to read those. But we didn't practice or understand the need for quarantine from disease until the 14th century. That's a proof. God knew long before we did and put it in the Bible so that when science finally figured it out, we could go, look, I told you it was true. God commanded circumcision on the eighth day. It just so happens that on the eighth day we have since learned that clotting agents are at their highest level, thus decreasing the probability of infection. What? God knew before we knew so that he could say, look, there's proof that the word is true. I'm telling you all of this because I want you to know that the truth can be proven. You don't just have to say the Bible is true because it's true. That's the argument of the weak-minded. The world doesn't need weak-mindedness. The world needs people willing to declare the truth and be able to prove it. And God in His Word gave us the ability to prove it. Amen? But that's not the most important part or the most impressive part. The prophetic truths, evidences, are most significant to me. There are over 300 specific prophecies dealing with Jesus in the scriptures. 300. If only eight of those were true. Eight out of the 300 were true. I'm sorry, is that right? Eight? Yeah. If only eight were true, the probability of one man fulfilling all eight of those prophecies would be 10 to the 17th power. That's 10 with 17 zeros behind it. Now, I know that's a number we can't conceive of, so let me make it even more inconceivable. 
with an illustration. If I took the state of Texas, covered it in half dollars, coins, two feet deep, took one of those coins, painted it red on the flat on the one of the sides, turned it upside down, and set it somewhere in that pile, on the top, on the bottom, somewhere in between, the probability that 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 Jesus is who he said he is would be the probability that Jesus isn't who he said he is is the same as you going somewhere out there in that vast space <coughs> of coins, digging down deep, doing whatever, and picking up that red coin the very first time. That's pretty significant. That's a proof. Jesus fulfilled all 300 of them, though. Amen? Sixty-six books. Forty-nine authors. Written over 1,500 years. With over 6,000 points of confirmation. All declaring a singular truth. That Jesus Christ is our redemption. Man, if that's not a proof, I don't know what is. Over 1,500 years before email, before any kind of mass communication, 49 authors authored 66 books. Totally. Over 1,500 years declaring the same message. Can I tell you the truth is true? And the truth is true for a purpose. To declare the truth. And that truth is Christ Jesus. I told you from front to back, all I'm trying to prove is that the word is true because the word proves Christ Jesus is the only answer that the world needs right now. Jokingly, people ask me, they said, hey, can I ask you a question? And almost always I'll answer, Jesus, before they get a chance to answer, ask the question. Can I ask you a question? Jesus. What? You, asked, you said if you could ask me a question. I figured Jesus is the answer to every question. But go ahead. Everything written in the scripture is to declare the name of Jesus. That he... And he alone is the way, the truth, and the life. That it's by the stripes of his back, the shedding of his blood that we have remission of sin. By the tearing of his flesh that we've been bought back and redeemed. It is by the remission of, of it is by the shedding of his blood we have remission of sin. It is him who paid the debt of death that we owe. This is what the word says over and over and over again. In the, New Te in the Old Testament law, the only thing it shows is that the holiness of God is so incredible that we can't accomplish it without Jesus. Everything written in the New Testament is to show that Jesus is the answer to every problem that we have that's eternal and that matters. The truth is real. But the truth, the truth declares, is equally real.
I want to tell you that you have a, not a need, you are bound by a requirement to this truth. You have to make a decision about this truth. Are you going to make a decision objectively or subjectively? Are you going to say, the word of God is absolutely true and Jesus is the only answer to the problems that I have? Or are you going to say, I don't like that. And because of my feelings about it, I'm not going to submit myself to them. Your answer has to be, unless you want to be separated from God for all eternity, that I will stand on the objective truth of, word, of God's word.